Overflow podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So we're talking about love on fire. We're going to be talking about love, not just because it's the month of February and that would be appropriate, but we're talking not just about the romantic kind of love, but all the kinds of love. We'll be exploring some of those things during this series. Uh, but if we're going to learn about love, then we need to learn about love from the initiator of love, the inventor and the initiator of love. Come on, how many know that God defines himself in First John? He says this, it says that God is love. So one of the definitions that he gave us of himself is that he is love. He is defined by that. Everything that God does is from a place of love. Everything that he does, that's his, that's his motivation 100% of the time. Constantly, it's his motivation. And it looks different in a lot of different ways. And we're going to talk about that throughout this series, what love really looks like. And one of the famous passages of scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, which I'm sure you have, that scripture was probably used. I try not to use it when I do weddings, but last time I actually used it. And, um, but we know, we know that that passage is, it's kind of ingrained in us, at least the first couple of words. And we're going to dig into this and verses, instead of doing a, a 13, a 15 work, uh, week series, because there's actually 15 uh, different words, we're going to try to break those down into four different parts. And what I believe are kind of categories of each of these words. And so today we're going to be talking about gentleness because love is gentle. And this is expressed through some of these words. And man, the world has a voice on this issue called love, right? Everybody's talking about that. We need to be more loving. It's all about love, 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 love. Everybody's writing about love. But what I found is that most of the people that are talking about love don't even know who who love is. They don't even know the, the creator of love. They don't know the initiator of love. So I believe this, you can't know love in its purest form unless you know God. Because if he is love and he created love, then you've got to study love from his perspective. And so this is why part of the reason why we have the scriptures is so we can dig into the scriptures and learn of who he is, learn of his motivation, learn of what love looks like. And as followers of Christ, listen, the love that you carry should look drastically different than the love of those that don't know Christ. So if you know Jesus, love looks different. It looks different. I would even say this, that if you know Jesus, love feels different. I mean, love is not an emotion, but it has, but emotions are produced out of it. And so our love is different because we belong to God, because we have, listen, because we have a, a, a connection to God. It might be filtered. It might be tainted a little bit, but we have a connection with God, the initiator and the inventor of love. Jesus says this in Mark, Matthew chapter five, verse 14. He says this, you are the light of the world. Now, a lot, oftentimes when we read that Jesus is, or that statement, you are the light of the world. At one point, Jesus said that about himself. Here, he's saying you are. And when he's saying you, he's not talking about the world. He's saying the world needs a light. And he say, he's saying to his, disciple, his disciples, his followers, he's saying, now, you are the light of the world. You've been following me. I'm teaching you what it looks like to have your love on fire. I'm teaching you what it looks like to have light on. Now understand this about scripture. When we read that word light, you know, you've seen all the like clever, clever, uh, horrible Christian t-shirts that have like a light bulb, right? Like one of these kind of bulbs here. And it says, you are the light of the world, right? But in scripture, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have bulbs. You know how their light looked? Look like this. 
it looked like a flame. So when we talk about love being on fire, what we're saying is love carries a light. But if you're going to have light, you got to have fire. Remember John the Baptist said this about about Jesus. He says, hey, I'm going to baptize you with water, but he who is coming after me is greater. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you in fire and you will do, listen, you will do the stuff that Jesus does. So what Jesus teaches us in John chapter 14 through 16, he talks about, you know, that we're going to do the stuff that he did. We're going to function in the Holy Spirit. We're going to look a lot like Jesus. In fact, the disciples were called Christians as a criticism because they were Christ-like. They were acting like Jesus. What were they doing? They were being the light or the fire of the earth. You can't have light without fire, biblically speaking. Are you tracking? So you are the fire of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one takes a light and then puts it under a basket or behind a pastor, right? No, no, no. You take that light and you set it on its stand so it gives room to everyone in the house. Instead, a lamp is placed on its stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine. Let your love, let, let the things that you do, let the things that you put your hand to, let the actions that you perform and the words that you speak shine for all to see so that everyone will praise you, your light. No, 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 your father in heaven, who is light. Scripture also says that about God, that God is light. In him, there is no darkness. God is light. God is fire. And we are called to reflect. We are, we are called to burn with the Holy Spirit, with the, the same fire that burned in Jesus. It's to burn in us, and we are to emit that flame on the earth. We are to carry that light. And that light burns brightest when we're loving the best. When we got our love on, that is when that fire is burning. I'm not talking about some mansy-pansy kind of love. I'm talking about love till the end. I'm talking about the love that Jesus had that came and gave it all, that went the farthest depths. Come on, that swam the, the deepest ocean, the furthest ocean, that ran, ran up the highest mountain, that love that, that went from, from his world to our world to the cross. Come on, we're talking about real, powerful love that knows no bounds. People get hung up in songs. They're like, well, God's love is not reckless, bro. Let me tell you, God's a lot, love is a lot more than reckless, bro. His love is like so boundless. He is extreme. As extreme as you think God's love can be, it's bigger. His love is big. It's deeper and wider and broader and higher. And he's inviting you to take part of that. Now, Jesus says this. He says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, we talked about this in the last series, that in the, in the end, because of wickedness on the earth, the love of most will grow cold, but not you. Your love ain't going to grow cold. Your love is going to burn hot. You are going to burn bright for the world to see, not for you, not to glorify you, but to glorify your Father in heaven. First Corinthians chapter 12. Now, when we talk about love, we go to first Corinthians chapter 13, but when the scriptures were written, they weren't written with chapters and verses. It was just a long letter. We came in and added those things to kind of help us out, help us navigate this big, thick book that we had that God gave to us. And it says this in first Corinthians 12, I have a guy that I follow, uh, that I've been following for a number of years. His name is Greg Kokel. He leads a ministry called Stand to Reason. It's a phenomenal ministry. And he uses this statement. He says, never read a Bible verse never read a Bible verse. Other words, when you read the Bible, you need to read a chunk of scripture so you have the real understanding. Are you tracking? So, so let's back up before we get into 13. Now, what Paul is talking about is he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 
Okay, the gifts of the Spirit. He's talking about, you know, prophecy. He's talking about speaking in tongues. He's talking about healing. He's talking about all the gifts of the Spirit, doing the same stuff that Jesus did, functioning in a church. And he's like, man, I'm excited that those things are happening. And then he says this right here at the end of chapter 12. He says, but eagerly desire the greater gift, greater gifts. And now, so he's like, man, go after the gifts. He he reassures us this. And in chapter 14, he says that it starts off, eagerly desire the gifts especially that you may prophesy the greater gifts, right? So he says this, he says, but, and I now will show you before he goes into, into first Corinthians 13, I now will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way is love. And this is where he goes right here. And he says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Other words, don't be so impressed If someone's got a gift, do they have love? I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, so-and-so is a prophet, but do they have love? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have the faith to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. All, how many know all these things could be loving? But if you have those things without love, I gain nothing. See, what he's talking about is kind of what we deal with today. We admire gifting. We love gifting, right? We surround ourselves with gifting. We like their Facebook page, right? We follow them on Instagram. Why? Because we are drawn to gifting. When someone is gifted, we want to receive from their gift. Nothing wrong with that. But what we do is we value, we value gifting over character. Because you know how it is. You've been impressed with somebody before, right? You're like, oh man, that person's got a gift. You might not say it that way, but but inside you're thinking, oh man, that person, man, they 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 kind of they impress me. So you want to be around that person because they have this gift, right? And that gift might be their personality. And then you get in a room with them. Has this ever happened to you? And you're like, they're just not that awesome. Right? Now all of a sudden, the, all the things that impressed you no longer impress you. You're kind of unimpressed now. And then you get depressed because <laughs> you're like, oh, if they don't have it together, how can I have it together? Because what have we done if we, we, have, we have glorified gifting so much more over character? And what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, the gifts are awesome. Go after the gifts. But if you don't have love, nothing. You've got nothing. Because the gifts, he goes along later, he says the gifts are going to pass away, but love is going to endure forever. Love will last forever. Is it motivated? Is it coming from the right place? Let me also say this. You've met people before that weren't impressive. They didn't have anything. You weren't like, oh, you, you weren't like, oh, I met this amazing person. You know, they were up there and they're impressive. None of that. But you sat across the table from them. And you spent some time with them. And you received. And they benefited you. And now you're tight with them. And you're close with them. There was no gifting that impressed you, but you were impressed by their love. And those are the people you choose to surround your life with. Why? Because love, love is ageless. Love, love goes beyond the impression. Come on, love, love endures. This is what he's saying. Then he goes into these descriptions, these 15 descriptions, and he says this. And again, I'm going to break these down into into, uh, four different weeks and 
try to kind of put them in categories to help us uh, get through them a little quicker. It says this, love is patient. You can circle that one. That's one of our, this week's. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Uh, all the men in the room, including me. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many? None. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always holds, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then he goes on. He says, the gifts, they're all going to, one day they'll, we won't have gifts anymore. We'll be standing before God in heaven. We won't need the gifts, but will there be love in your heart? Or will you show up empty-handed? See, love is gentle. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about these five ways that love is gentle. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people, and we talk about holy, we immensely immediately start thinking about, you know, head coverings and no makeup and dress, right? If some of y'all think of that, but when scripture speaks of being holy, what it means is that you are set apart for a purpose. So when it says that you are holy, it's saying that God has a purpose for you. Therefore you live differently. You're reserved for God, right? We have ice cream that is holy in our refrigerator. It is reserved for a purpose. Our kids go to bed. We pull that out, Right? Since God chose you to be the holy people, reserved for purpose, he, the people he loves, by the way, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Love is tender. Love is gentle. Love is patient. Patient. We talk about patience. This is what I think about patience. I ain't got time for that. Anybody else? I am probably one of the more impatient people you've ever been around. If you get around me, you'll realize that I'm pretty impatient. I want it now. (laughs) I don't want to wait. I don't have time for patience. But beloved, if I don't have time for patience, then I don't have time for love because love is patient. See, patience is the opposite of being short-tempered. You could say this, love does not lose its temper even when it's provoked. Why are you provoking me? Why are you testing my patience? And what we do is when we don't possess these qualities, we accuse. We say, well, it's your fault that I'm not patient. No, it's your fault you're not patient. It's my fault that I'm not patient. Patient means that I'm not hurrying others along. The old word for patience, and if you read like in the King James Version or an older translation, the the word patience isn't there. The word that is there is this word that says long-suffering. You know what that means? It means willing to suffer long. That you're willing to suffer for a long time for that which you love. Are you willing to suffer long? Are you willing to stay married to the person for decades? That's what I want to know even if they don't change. By the way, ladies, you're not going to change him. Only God can change him. Don't think he's going to get buried and then he's going to be whatever you have in your mind. 
I don't think he's going to look like Brad Pitt and preach like Stephen Furtick just because you marry him and you pray for him. Don't work like that. God can change a man. He can also change a woman, by the way. But am I willing to suffer? Not just a little while. Am I willing to suffer long? Am I willing to suffer when my kids aren't lining up? It's interesting, you know, that, that we do this. I do this. Like, I think that if my child is getting angry, then if I get angry, he will calm down. Why do, why do we think like that? Sing a little louder, right? I'm getting a little louder. Why aren't you getting quieter? No, they just... Are you willing to suffer long? Listen, suffering long, it's the long distance. It's, it's the marathon. It's not the, it's not the get there quick. Some of you are wanting, wanting the rewards of a marriage, mm. of a marriage that a person has of 50 years. You want the rewards of that. You want the kind of love. But listen, if you ain't willing to suffer, you'll never get that. If you ain't willing to go through some things, you got to go through fire. I'm telling you, beloved, if you want to have a love that will last forever, you got to be willing to go through fire. You got to be willing to go through crud. Some of the most solid marriages that I know are people that have been through the most horrific things in their marriage. And I look at it and I admire it, not because they're so romantic and they look like a movie, but because they went through the crud and all they had was one another. And they stuck with it. Love is patient. Don't get in a hurry for others. Don't we? Man, you need to hurry up. You need to, it's, it's time for you to mature a little bit. And I would agree to that. But I would also say, am I willing to be patient even if your process is a lot slower than mine? because I definitely want it in the areas where I'm slow. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. How many know that you're all in the ministry? When you came to Jesus, you said, yes, I'm in the ministry. We're all in full-time ministry, right? It just looks different because you didn't know that. That's what you signed up for. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every time. We've been beaten. We've been put into prison. We faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, and the the ability to suffer long, our patience. Our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. That word sincere means without wax. This means it's just the way it is. It means grinding. It means difficult. Are you willing to endure sincerely? It's the distance. It's the longevity of our love. It's the depth of love. It's the distance of love. Patience. Ephesians chapter 4. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for one another's faults. Because of your love. See, baby, patience is, it's okay for the last six years I left the medicine cabinet open every morning. <laughs> Leslie doesn't do anything annoying, so I don't, can't pick on her.
Are you willing to endure the little annoying things for love? It's interesting how that those things magnify. We think it'll go away in marriage. No, no, no. You get married, they magnify. You think you're really good at raising kids until you have them. Isn't it funny how we all have these great ideas about how people should raise their kids until we have kids? And then we're like, oh, well, I'll just spank their butt and everything will be okay. No, no, not always that way. Sometimes you need to be led by the Spirit. Are you willing to go through the annoying things for decades? Listen, I know you want the unicorns and eat marshmallows. Know it. No, you want the glitter to fall out of the sky when he walks in the room and the little chimes in the background. I know. And I want it there too. But listen, are you willing to endure? Are you willing to be there when it's ugly? And not just in our marriages, but what about our friendships? What about when they're going through it? Are you willing to go through it with them? Secondly, is love is kind. I've found sometimes it's, it's difficult to be kind to those that I'm closest to. Lay on my heart, so now I can just quit putting on a show. Is your kindness a show, or is kindness an overflow of your heart? Are you kind? Are you kind to the stranger? How do you treat strangers? Do you say hello? Do you say thank you? Are you warm? Are you welcoming? Are you glad to see people coming? Are you annoyed by others? Are you kind on Mondays? Are you kind to your waitress when she gets your order wrong? And she's slow. Are you, are you kind to your Uber driver when their car smells like weed? I don't know. <laughs> Some of you Uber drivers are like getting all nervous. Are you kind to the bill collector when he calls? Woo. I know we got some bill collectors in the house today. You're like, they need to hear this message. Are you kind to those who are not kind to you? I mean, this is the golden rule that Jesus talks about. By the way, the, Jesus created the golden rule. Jesus, Jesus brought up the golden rule. Jesus, it, it starts with God. Come on. The golden rule is what? Treat others the way you want to be treated. But we don't live in The culture preaches that, but we don't live that way. We treat others the way they treat. When they're not kind to me, I'm not kind. Well, they hit me. We are teaching our children this right now. It is not contingent upon what they did to you. You are responsible for you. You treat others the way you want to be treated. See, kindness is not reacting to the treatment of others, but reflecting the heart of Jesus. That's what kindness is. Kindness is, this is how Jesus would live. So he would also drive out temple. Yeah, he will. We'll be talking about that. But kindness is not reacting to the treatment of others, but reflecting the heart of Jesus. See, we want to be radically unfair in our kindness. Radically unfair. I don't want to be kind to you because you deserve it. I want to be totally radically unfair kind to everyone. Even people that don't belong to my camp or to my church or to my family. Even if they oppose me politically, I want to be kind to them. You know, one of the things that I noticed about Jesus, when you read the stories of Jesus, Jesus definitely speaks out against broken systems, but he never speaks out against broken people. He never uses names to accuse people. I'll tell you what, beloved, I'm so sick and tired of seeing Christians throw media personalities or actors or actresses, people by name on social media. It is 
not kind. <laughs> I'm trying to say this nicely. It is a stench in the nostrils of God whenever we throw people by name under the bus, making memes, making fun of people that we disagree with, accusing people. Listen, you don't know their story. Have you ever had breakfast with them? Have you sit down and had a cup of coffee with that person? Jesus definitely spoke against systems, and we should speak against systems. We don't use names. We don't name call because that's not kind. Y'all all right? Because love is not rude. Well, rude, right? Are you harsh? Do you pride yourself with being blunt even when your opinion has not been sought out? Unsolicited advice. My favorite. It's hard for me to be kind and patient with people that give me unsolicited advice. I'm like, Lord, help me. Some of my patience is tested. Unsolicited advice. Do you do that? Well, let me tell you what I think. Well, I wasn't really asking. Do you retaliate rudeness for rudeness? They honked at me. I'm going to honk at them. They cut me off. I'm going to cut them off. Listen, if you can't, if you can't have a little bit more self-control in traffic, how do you think you're going to hold a marriage together? <laughs> how do you think you're going to hold up when Jezebel shows up at your door? I mean, for real? Like you can't, you can't keep yourself from like posting cuss words. And having filthy, posting filthy things on social media, you don't have enough self-control from that? And you think you have the self-control to change? That's all right. That's all right. All right. No, that's not rude. I'm not being rude. But you came to hear my advice, apparently. <laughs> but that's what needed to be said. Listen, is what needed to be said a higher virtue than kindness? I would argue that it's not. In kindness, I will speak what needs to be said. In kindness, I'll sit across the table and we'll have a conversation. I'll buy your coffee or your lunch. Don't go with Josh to lunch today. (laughs) All right, James chapter three. But the wisdom from above, what needs to be said is first of all, pure. It is also peace loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. We always, we always want mercy to be shown, but rarely do we demonstrate it. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Love is gentle. Love is not rude. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is not easily angered. Are you easily triggered? (laughs) Are you irritable? Are you easily agitated or annoyed? Are you continually frustrated? Listen, if anybody has a reason to be triggered, it's Jesus, right? I mean, it's like, okay, I created you, I breathed life in you. (laughs) I came and died for you. And you're like, acting like that. I mean, if anybody has a reason to be triggered, It's Jesus, but he's not triggered. And he knows knows my deepest intentions. This is what I love about God. Like, he knows, like, how jacked up I am. Like, how really messed up, like, Josh Brown is. I mean, I, I could put on a good show sometimes. But he knows, like, how really messed up I am. 
and he wants me and he loves me and he's not in a bad mood because of me. He's not disturbed because I did all those things I shouldn't have done that we just talked about. His love isn't moved by that. He loves me constantly. He's not easily angered. Psalm 145, and, and that's not to say he doesn't get angry because he does get angry, but scripture says that he's angry. His anger lasts for just a moment because even his anger, beloved, is driven by his love. Even the things that God hates are driven by his love because the reason why he hates things is because those things are a violation of love. Psalm 145, verse eight, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and rich in love. He's got a wealth of love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. He is not easily angered. He's not ticked. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at America. There's definitely some things that he's wanting to straight out. But I don't think God's like depressed in heaven. No, no, no. Number five, love keeps no record of wrongs. Are you a bookkeeper of the mistakes of others? Do you have a running note in your phone? Well, yeah, I remember when they did that. We're going to have a talk about that. I'm guilty. I've had a list before. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about and make sure that nothing goes untalked about. Keeps no record. No, how much? None. First, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nineteen says, "God is reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them." This is a few verses for that. This is that God demonstrated His love for us while we were sinners, while we were racking up a debt of sin, while we were creating a list and a record for wrongs. He said, "Man, I need to go balance the account." Be kind and compassionate, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you gone to Jesus? Have you been cleansed of your sins? Have have your sins been forgotten by God? Because they can be. But because of that, and because of that place, and because that reference point, I can look at others that have sinned against me and go, you know what? You're forgiven. You know what? I'm not going to hold this against you. See, the, there's a test, though. There's a test to patience and kindness and tenderness. There's a, there's a, a, a the test of genuine, gentle love. There is a test. You know, love reflects our nature, not the object of the one that we love. You're called to be love, an object of love that loves others. And so when you love someone else, it's it's not speaking so much of their character. It's speaking of yours. My wife is definitely worthy of my love. But to love her is still a choice today. Easy choice, but still a choice. Love reflects our nature, not the objects of our love. Um, See, the test is this. It's not the way we love our family. It's not the way that we love our friends. We admire all those things. Oh, look how they love their kids. Oh, he just loves his kids so much. 
Oh, they love their friends so much. It's so fun to be around. Not how we love our neighbors. Not, not, not necessarily how we love those that belong to us. But how do we love those that don't belong to us? How about, how do we love those that are on the other side of the tracks? How do we love those that are on the other side of the political aisle? How do we love those that are on the other side of love? How do we love those that are on the other side of the world? But it's even not about that. But how do we love those that oppose us? How do we love our enemies? See, following Jesus isn't conventional. And Jesus takes everything to the extreme. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you. But I say, and listen, beloved, if we want to follow Jesus, this is what we follow. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love your opponents. Love those that mean ill and evil towards you. Love them. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, those that belong to you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors were like the sinners of the day because they were liars and they were thieves. Even they love their kids. Even they love their spouse. And if you only greet your brothers, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans love their brothers? Be perfect. Oh my goodness. Jesus said it. He drops the bomb. God doesn't expect me to be perfect. Be perfect. In the Greek, it means, comes from the Greek word perfectos. Just kidding. I don't know what the word is. Be perfect. God doesn't expect me to be perfect, yet Jesus says right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. Look, stop making excuses and commit to the process. You're not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. You'll spend five minutes with me and go, no, no, you're not. But I'm in process. Not there yet, but that's, that's where I'm heading. I'm heading towards perfect love. I'm heading towards to have the love that Jesus had to where I can love my enemies, that I can love my spouse, that I can love my kids even when I don't feel like it today and they're doing the irritating Fortnite dance. I'm going to love them. See, the standard of love is a high, high standard. It's, it's perfect love that we're called to. We're not, we're not called to just this kind of mansy-pansy, unicorn, rainbows love. We're called to perfect love. God, who alone is perfect, calls us to this perfect standard of unconditional love. And if we are going to be like Jesus, the best way we can demonstrate it is this. We are most like Jesus when we lay down our lives and love our enemies. The one that I feel hate towards, that's the one I love. My political enemies, come on. The enemies of my family, love my enemies. 
love those that don't belong to me. Why? Because I belong to God. See, when we were God's enemies, when we were God's enemies, Romans 5.10, when we were God's enemies, you know how he acted? He reconciled us through the death of his son. Jesus gave the most precious gift, not to his beloved church, no, no, but to make his enemies his church, to make his enemy his bride. He married. He married his enemy. He knew we would fall short. He knew we would screw up. He knew we wouldn't be perfect. But he said, I want you to be mine. And it's not a reflection of us. It's a reflection of him. And beloved, our love for the world around us needs to be a reflection of him. It's the only way we can love perfectly. This means laying down our agendas, our opinions, in order to express love for those he opposes. Does it mean that you're not opinionated? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means how do you share it? How do we grow in gentleness? How do we grow in this thing called gentleness? Patience, kindness, long-suffering, not being rude, not keeping people's sins against them. Come on, how do we we live that way? Well, first of all, you've got to slow down. Just take a big breath. Every time you're offended, every time you're bothered, every time they disobey, every time he leaves a toilet seat up, slow down. I know I'm picking on little things. I'm sure there's much bigger things in the room. Slow down. Guard your mouth, guard your keyboard. Guard your phone screen, guard it. In doing that, you will guard your heart. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Sometimes the wrath that is being turned away is mine. It just turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So if you come to me with rage and I give you a gentle answer, not only does it calm you down, possibly, it also calms me down. And if and I only need to be concerned about my behavior, not yours. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. With our children, with our wives, with our enemies, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Sometimes it's my wrath. See, a reaction motivated in anger is a violation of love. A reaction motiv- motivated in, in anger is a violation of love. Number two, remember your forgiveness. Remember how screwed, you, screwed up you were? Remember how unfit you were for Jesus? If you don't, then I can introduce you to Jesus today. And When you meet him, you'll realize how messed up your life really is. Because you're not comparing yourselves to your fellow man. We're comparing you to the purity of this man, Jesus, who knew no sin. How do you measure up to that? We fail miserably, but that's okay. He meets the standard for us. Remember that you're forgiven. Matthew chapter six, Jesus says this, if you come to me and pray and you have ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar, go and reconcile with your brother, then come and pray. In other words, exercising forgiveness is more important than prayer because when you're praying and you have unforgiveness in your heart, nobody's listening. 
For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. No matter what justice, no matter what virtue, you would say that it's appropriate for you to hold on. It's not worth it, beloved. It's destroying you. The unforgiveness is destroying you. It's not destroying them. It's destroying you. Number three, pray. Not just for yourself. Pray for the objects of your attention. Pray for your kids that are frustrating you. Pray for your wife that is annoying you or your husband, which is probably in most cases. See, I'm convinced that if we would learn how to pray, I'm convinced if we would learn how to pray, we would find a life that is filled with an abundance of joy and peace. Because how we pray is this. I pray, Lord, that you would change them. I pray that they would start treating me the way I need to be treated. (laughs) Some weird dance that you do when you pray. That's, that's how we pray. I pray, Lord, that you will come to Jesus. How about you pray for that your heart would be tender towards that person? Maybe he wants to demonstrate his love for them through you, their enemy, just like Jesus. <laughs> pray for them. Listen, I went through a difficult time in 2010 with some people that were very dear to us, very close to, they were in authority over our lives. And we, we felt really... Um, taken advantage of when we felt broken, we felt betrayed, we felt very opposed by these people that we were very close with for a long time, over a decade. And I remember specifically at night, we would sit in bed and we would just begin to pray for them. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bless their family. Lord, I pray that you would heal their children. Pray that you would provide good spouses for their kids. Pray that you would bless them. I pray that their ministry would be fruitful. All this kind of stuff, just begin to pray, blessing. This is what Jesus is saying. He's like, you want out of it, man. You want out of the the, the tension that you're feeling inside? Pray for your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse. Bless them. Just just pray a blessing over them. I don't want them to be successful. I know, but when you do that... I know you don't want them to be successful. I know that you want retribution. I know you want revenge in your heart. I know you want quote unquote justice. I know, I know, I know, I know I'm there sometimes. But what I found is if I could just have a tender heart, then what I can find is I can look at that situation and be joyful. What I, what I realize is after I get to the end of that situation, I'm not bitter, but I'm better. Because I've learned to pray the right way for even those that, that oppose me. When you stop praying self-centered prayers, That's why it's been so difficult, because it's been all about you. But love is selfless. We'll talk about that one of these weeks. I am convinced if we just learn how to pray, we would find a life that is filled with abundance and joy and peace. Number four, never assume motivation. Never assume motivation. You want to have a tender heart? Don't go into a situation and say, I think that this person, because what happens is, is that's called projection. You project what you think that person is. And then when they say something, no matter what they say, it comes through the lens of how you're speaking it. It all comes through that filter. 
Well, they're mean, they're ugly, they're spiteful, they're religious, they're whatever. And so everything that they say comes through that filter. And that might not be their way at all, but you've made those accusations. And now what you've done is you've set up a stronghold in your heart that that person, that God can't do anything in the situation because you've got a coldness and a hardness in your heart. And God doesn't want you carrying that junk around. And I would say this, the people that you've been close to that you're in opposition with now, God's heart is reconciliation. That's always God's, God's heart is always reconciliation. That isn't, that, that can mean a lot of different things. God's heart is reconciliation. I mean, it's just who he is. It doesn't mean you might be best friends. But it does mean that he wants things to be at peace because he wants you to be at peace. He loves you. He wants you to be at peace. He wants you to be filled with joy. He wants you to experience life. But if you're carrying around unforgiveness and you're assuming people because you've been jaded or whatever and you're just projecting that on people, you are not going to have a good life experience. So pray for them. And never assume their motivation. What, if, what would the world look like if we sought to understand before we sought to accuse? So when someone that you, especially we do this with people we don't know all the time, you know, celebrities, politics, everything. We just, we're just like, oh, kind of like an evil person. It's like, have you ever like had a conversation with that person that you're accusing? Because last I checked, accusation is from the devil. But I don't know why you're accusing that person. And I know you have the quote unquote rights, but you don't know. You've never had a conversation with them. You, you've never, you've never sit across the table. You've never heard about their childhood. You don't know what kind of wounds they're carrying around. Let's talk about you for a moment. And number five, just learn from Jesus. Beloved, I am not, I hope I'm not coming across harsh today. I want good for you. I want your heart to be clean. I want your love to be pure. Learn from Jesus. Remember uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. I love that. Love it. Yes, Lord, I'm weary. I'm heavy laden. He's like, come and learn from me because I'm gentle. I'm tender. Learn from me. See, this is what happens when we get before the flame. We sit before his presence and he melts off all the junk because it's a lot hotter than we are, right? So he just melts off all that stuff and we burn brighter because of it. He just burns away all the junk. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience, all the things that we're talking about. It's a fruit. Love is meant to be a fruit of your life. How do we nurture that? We learn from Jesus. We get before the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 19 says this. It says, we love because we first love us. 